Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. What do you do when your mind quickly anticipates terrible scenarios and makes the world a dangerous place and demands that you react accordingly? What do you do when you feel overwhelmed by emotions? What do you do when your mind is engaging in repetitive negative thinking over and over? Welcome back to another episode of the Planet Safe podcast. This is Dr. Z. And this is part two of my interview with Dr. Matthew McKay. Dr. Matthew McKay is a professor at the Wright Institute in Berkeley, California. He has authored and co-authored numerous books, including the Relaxation and Stress Reduction Workbook, Self-Esteem, Thoughts and Feelings, When Anger Hurts, and Act on Life, Not on Anger. In this episode, we continue our conversation about process-based therapy and transdiagnostic processes. This is a conversation in which we will go beyond diagnostic labels and unpack what drives a psychological struggle. Think about this. We all have our own ways of handling psychological stress and stressful situations. And sometimes we handle those situations effectively and other times we don't. We talk about what is emotional awareness, cognitive flexibility, how you can handle repetitive negative thinking, how you can handle uncertainty, what makes uncertainty a problem in your life and what are the skills that you need to put into action to handle the unknown and unpredictable situations in an effective way. I truly hope you enjoyed this episode and if you like it, I will very much appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I wish you a lovely day. Bye-bye. And I appreciate your clarification and I can totally see the rationale behind that. I think that catching our thoughts or catching these thinking patterns requires some form of precision. There's another piece to this though, because... The treatment is sometimes a little different. You know, with worry, one of the things we're doing is we're really we're really doing something with safety behaviors because uh, we want we want to help the client stop engaging in safety behaviors of, which which avoid uncertainty. Um, and in doing so, the client begins to develop an, a tolerance for uncertainty, and a, and 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 uncertainty becomes less and less terrifying. 
And as a result, they're not trying to fix uncertainty with worry. So one of the ways we deal with worry is by helping clients discontinue uh, safety behaviors and, and learn to tolerate uh, uncertainty. But we don't te- necessarily use that same treatment with rumination. Uh, so, I, so I think this is another reason why we want to separate them. I think they're the, they're the same process, but it turns out that the treatment is somewhat different um, uh, for one versus the other. Well, at least on their space, means that the skills or the change processes or the change of skills are going to look different if they are dwelling on the past or they are overly focused on catastrophic future scenarios. Maestro, here is my second sassy question. And this one is a juicy one. And we had had many conversations about this over the years. <laughs> when talking about the fusion and cognitive restructuring, as you know, I am more heavily into these acceptance-based processes, and I know your work also includes that. But there is this distinction you were making that if a person has a repetitive thought about the past, perhaps they have to start challenging the thought a little bit and challenging in a way that builds flexibility, such as looking at how they are going to cope, thinking what's the worst case scenario. What are your thoughts in terms of what works for whom? If a person is dealing with worried thoughts, who will be a good candidate for doing more acceptance-based processes like the fusion, watching the thought, label the thought, and re-engaging what is in front of them? And who will be a better candidate for other forms of dealing with a thought, such as looking at what is the worst case scenario, how I'm going to cope with this, what is my coping history with a thought? Well, first of all, I think that we are still in the process of coming up with good change processes for repetitive negative thinking, worry, rumination, internalizing, and so forth. Um, I think that uh, we have a long way to go. Uh, so, so the change processes we have available to us are probably going to grow and evolve, and we're going to develop new change processes. Um, I think one factor that would influence me in terms of doing more cognitive restructuring versus uh, diffusion is just how sticky is the thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, is uh, if the if the thought is like if it's one particular thought, like we said, it's a particular a particular worry. Like I'm always thinking that I've got you know some horrible disease, and I'm, I'm every time I have a little ache or pain, I'm 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 right there. I'm, I'm immediately visualizing and and imagining this terrible disease. If it's one particular thought over and over again, uh, sometimes cognitive restructuring, and it's very sticky thought, sometimes cognitive restructuring is helpful. Um, if, if they're diffuse worries where, where there's, it's not one particular thing that, that is, is the focus, but, but worry keeps shifting constantly from one issue to another, one, one catastrophic possibility to another, one situation to another. Um, Often we, I think, are better off with uh, diffusion because um, now we want to work with the, the process of worry. We want to change the relationship to worry. Uh, and diffusion has the capacity to do that. Um, 
There's a third major change process. I mean, we've talked about delay and other things, but there's a third major change process for repetitive negative thinking, which is uh, attention training. Mm-hmm. And attention training is probably the wave of the future. I, I think as we get better at this particular change process, it, it may offer us um, and offer our clients relief uh, that is harder to come by with, with the methods we use now. Attention training really strengthens executive functioning, the ability to shift attention from one thing to another, from one thought to another, uh, and also the, the ability to leave one thought and go to a different thought. Uh, so if I'm, I'm locked into a chain of, of worrying about a certain event or something that uh, I'm struggling with or some uncertainty that I'm facing, um, <clears throat> and, and, and our attention gets like a rusty gate, you know, it's like, and, we, it, it, and, it, and it gets focused on threat. And we, and we often have beliefs that we have to keep thinking about threat. And if we keep thinking about the threat, somehow it'll make it better. Of course, it doesn't make it better. It just makes us more anxious. But, but nonetheless, our attention gets riveted on the threat. And, and the, what we call the gate of attention is, is kind of stuck in, 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 in this open shot, looking right at the face of the threat. And so we have to kind of oil the hinges on the gate and make it easier for the gate of attention to shift back and forth so that maybe I'm tired of thinking about that threat. And I'd like to think about what a nice day it is or, or look out. Uh, and, and in my case, I'm looking out the window, I'm looking at the redwoods here and I can, and I can say, gee, that's really a beautiful tree. And I'm really enjoying that. And the light on the tree, I could take this. So the ability to move my, attention from the threat and 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 swing that that rusty hinge on that gate so that i'm i'm now thinking and focusing on something else mm-hmm. is going to i think turn out to be absolutely huge and essential as a change process for all kinds of repetitive negative thinking worry rumination internalizing uh threat focus all of that um so i think we're developing better and better skills at it i mean there's a uh, one thing that we have in our book, for example, that is a, an attention training meditation where we simply mm-hmm. move from different um, awarenesses, go, focusing on outside awareness, what my eyes see, my ears hear, focusing on on uh, internal awareness, noticing and then noticing thoughts, noticing emotions noticing thoughts again, noticing the outside, noticing the thoughts again, noticing the inside. And what happens is we start getting better and better and better at shifting our attention. And we're sort of building the metal, mental muscle and mm-hmm. the functioning necessary to actually move our attention, to move the gate so that we can think about other things besides the worry, the rumination, the internalizing and so forth. In my experience, one of the things I noticed is that many times we lose our sense of agency when we are stuck in our head, when we are either worried or ruminating or criticizing ourselves. And I have seen what you are describing, that if we can exercise the muscle to choose what to pay attention to with intention and practice that over and over in different scenarios, I think that increases our sense of agency that we can change things, that there is a way of dealing with our struggles differently or dealing with our worries in a more effective way. 
If people listening to us want to practice some form of attentional training exercises, what's one tiny thing they could do? Well, the, uh, so you spend 20 or 30 seconds focusing on just, just observing your thoughts, just observing one thought after another, just whatever shows up. Then you shift your attention to uh, what, are you, what are you seeing and hearing in the outside world or, and, and feeling? What are you touching, seeing, and hearing in the outside world? What do your senses tell you about the outside world? Do that for 30 seconds. Then go back to your thoughts. Then move to your, from your thoughts after 30 seconds to your internal world. What's happening inside your body? What are you noticing? What are you experiencing there? Um, what, what does it feel like in different places in your body? What's comfortable? What's not comfortable? Go back to the thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, then let's go back and notice what's going on emotionally. Just, just, just noticing your mood. You know, what, what are you feeling? And, and, and practicing acceptance for mm-hmm. all this, which is really an important part of it. It's noticing and accepting the experience. Then going back to the thoughts again. Now we'll shift back to the outside world. Now we'll shift to thoughts. Now we'll shift to the inside world. Now we'll shift to emotions. Uh, now back to thoughts. You see what I'm saying? So, and, 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 and just keep, and then what we do is we make it faster. Instead of doing 30 seconds, we do it in 10 seconds uh, and, and make the shift more quickly. So again, we're building the mental muscle to allow the awareness of, of all of that. Mm-hmm. Another thing that we can also do is then actually try to include all of the awareness at the same time. Noticing mm-hmm. the thoughts, noticing the feelings, noticing the sensations in my body, noticing what I see and hear and feel in the outside world. Just sort of trying to hold all of it at the same time. Just expand my awareness to include all of this. Um, so my awareness can always be more than my thoughts. Even when I'm having uh, negative thoughts, uh, I can also have awareness that's beyond that. And I can shift awareness when I want to so that I'm not locked in those thoughts. I can look at that redwood tree and say, you know, I think I'd rather... I'd rather look at this tree or I'd rather look at the sunlight uh, or I'd rather um, enjoy this walk I'm taking uh, or this task I'm doing. I'd like to be involved in that rather than this worry or this rumination right now. I just am not enjoying that. I'd rather, I'd rather be focusing on this positive experience. Um, And so learning that we can actually make those choices. Mm -hmm. Um, We can delay worry and rumination or we can just say, there's worry and rumination. Let me actually pay attention to something else. I'm tired of that. I love it. I want to encourage our listeners to try these exercises of attention flexibility and see how they work. Um, if it's okay, let me switch gears a little bit. Um, at the beginning of our conversation, one of the things you mentioned was how people deal with uncertainty. The last couple of years have been super focusing safety-seeking behaviors or fear-based struggles or anxiety-based struggles. And uncertainty, this fear of not knowing how things are going to be, is a constant behind all of these anxiety-based struggles. How can people handle uncertainty? Yeah. Well, you know, the two mechanisms that are often most kind of involved in or implicated in struggles with uncertainty are one emotion avoidance Mm -hmm. and distress intolerance. And so 
because what, what's, what, what's happening when we're facing uncertainty? We're, we're facing an emotion. It's an uncomfortable right. emotion of like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a certain amount of anxiety. It's, you know, of not knowing what will happen. Uh, we may have a decision that we're facing or a situation, an upcoming situation. We don't know how it's going to turn out. Yeah. And, and so that uncertainty creates a certain amount of discomfort and anxiety. And if we're committed to emotion avoidance, I don't want to feel anxiety. I can't mm-hmm. got to get rid of it. Uh, it makes us more intolerant of uncertainty and more determined to get rid of it or try to do something about it. And, and the other mechanism of course is, is, is distress intolerance. Like I, I, this idea that I shouldn't have to deal with that. I I shouldn't have to feel distressed like that. I shouldn't have to feel anxiety. Uh, I I ought to be able to get rid of this. I I don't want to have this. I've got, I've got to do something about it. And, mm-hmm. and, and so those, those two things in combination, the emotion avoidance, I don't want to feel anxious and, and the distress intolerance. Oh my God, I, this is uncomfortable feeling. I've got to, I can't stand it. I've got to get rid of it. I got to do something. Those two things together lead then to other mechanisms. Like I'm going to fix this with worry. I'm going to fix uncertainty by thinking about all the bad stuff that could happen. Uh, and, and then what happens is, oh my God, I've been, I'm, I've been worrying, trying to fix my, the uncertainty. Now I'm getting really anxious. And now what do I do? I do situation avoidance or, uh, or safety behaviors of some kind to try to altogether avoid this thing that is causing me some distress and, and that I've been ruminating about. So you can see you can go from one from one mechanism to another. I can start with just I, I don't want to have this emotion or I, I don't want, I don't want to feel distressed. I, I shouldn't feel distressed. I should get rid of this. I have to get rid of this. And then my next strategy is okay. I got to get rid of it. So I'm going to get rid of it with worry or with rumination. And I'm, I'm going to try to control this distress and this uncertainty uh, with worry and rumination. Then that doesn't work because I'm more anxious than ever. And, and I don't want to feel that. I have emotion avoidance. I don't want to feel now. I'm, I'm, I'm instead of an anxious anxiety on a scale of four I, out of 10, I'm, I'm eight or nine out of 10. Oh my God. Uh, and my distress is much worse. Oh my God, I've got to do something. And so now I'm, I'm moving on to situation avoidance, uh, safety behaviors, trying, trying to get away from in any way possible, the situations, experiences and, and events uh, that I'm, focusing my worry on and are creating uncertainty. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> For example, I mean, let's say, let's say somebody is going to uh, take a, a business trip and, and they're mm-hmm. going to, they're going to, uh, you know, meet some people and, uh, and, and, and engage in, in some business to do a little presentation to, to, to a group somewhere else. And, and they're um, unsure about how that's all going to go. So it's uncertain. Mm-hmm. How am I going to be received? What are they going to say? Am I going to do? I'm, am I do well enough? Am I going to, you know, present myself well? Uh, uh, lots of uncertainties. So, <clears throat> but our 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 friend here, who's taking this trip, 
has a motion avoidance to hate, just doesn't want to have it, any of it, you know, and, uh, and uncertainty and the anxiety associated with uncertainty is unavoidable. We don't yeah. know how we're going to f- perform on the trip. We don't know right. how those, those other people are going to respond to us. We just don't know. And no amount of thinking is going to fix that. No mm-hmm. amount of thinking can get rid of that uncertainty and that anxiety, but our friend is, is committed to emotion avoidance. I don't want to feel any anxiety. And 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 has uh, you know distress intolerance. I I this is distressing. I, I I shouldn't feel this. I shouldn't have to feel this. I can't I can't stand it. I've got to do something. So our friend starts to worry and mm-hmm. starts to think about catastrophic things that could happen. I could screw up my presentation. I could make a fool of myself. Start visualizing all the bad things, and then and then people responding in like negative ways, like oh gee, I, I don't like that. That that's, that wasn't very good, or just avoiding me. And, and I'm sorry. I started imagining all these bad things that could happen. Well, now what started out as again anxiety at level four, uh, which I wasn't didn't want to feel. Now it's at eight or nine, and mm-hmm. I'm out of my mind. I have tremendous anxiety and I'm, I'm, I'm terrified that the whole thing's going to be a disaster. And so what do I do? I cancel the trip or I claim right. it's sick and I, you know, and, and tell my boss, you know, I just can't go. You're going to have to send somebody else. So that's a safety behavior. That's trying mm-hmm. to avoid the situation um, at all costs. And, um, and, uh, or a different safety behavior. Let me bring somebody with me on the trip. Who can help That's me with right. the presentation so so that I can I can feel a little safer in the process? So I'm going to engage in some kind of say, or I'm going to get reassurance. I'm going to call four or five people to tell me how how good I'm going to do this presentation and how well it's going to go, and somehow maybe I'm going to get through it, um, and so right. so forth. So there, so we can see kind of the stacking of mm-hmm. you know, starting with intolerance of uncertainty and emotion avoidance. There now there's a stress. I have to take this trip. There's uncertainty. I can't get rid of it. Oh my God. I try to worry it away. That doesn't work. Now my anxiety is worse. And now I engage in these safety behaviors and all of this stacks on top of each other until I finally avoid the trip. And now I live in dread of ever being asked to take another trip. And I'm trying to figure out how to avoid it. Uh, And I'm feeling more and more anxious about my performance at work because I've avoided this trip. And, and so the, the thing just kind of steamrolls. Yes. And another classic safety behavior is to drink a scotch, to manage the struggle of how the future is going to go, how the meeting is going to go. Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drown it in alcohol or, or, take right? it or something. And then what happens is, very unfortunate, I, I go to the meeting and maybe I'm impaired. <laughs> I don't do a very <laughs> good job. Or but here's, here's an, another scenario. I go to the meeting and I do a pretty good job, um, but I ascribe my success to the drug. And that's right. I don't learn that I can actually face the anxiety. I can face the uncertainty. I can deal with it and still perform adequately. I never learned that because I ascribe whatever benefit or whatever things going well to, to my use of the drug. That's the tricky part of the safety behaviors, right? That's the tricky part of these playing it safe moves. They work in the short term, but they deprive us from really learning effectively how to handle the situation or the uncertainty in this case without losing ourselves. So how will the change process will look 
If people are struggling with seeding and making room for uncertainty, they are trying to quickly get rid of it, and they quickly engage into all types of safety behaviors. Well, <clears throat> there's, I mean, one of the, sort of the gold standard for uh, dealing with uncertainty is exposure, and mm-hmm. exposure can be done in different ways at different levels. But for example. We might do an exposure by having me practice my presentation that I was going to do on the trip with uh, people at work. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm exposing myself to the uncertainty of how I'm going to do and how I'm going to re- be received. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting to do some practice uh, exposures before actually doing my trip. Uh, we might work on eliminating other safety behaviors. Let's say I was engaging in safe and um, reassurance seeking. Um, you know, we would, we might want to have me just deal with the uncertainty to, 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 you know, work toward accepting the uncertainty. Let me, and, and we have uh, things called acceptance meditations. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me, let me just notice the feeling inside my body of, of the uncertainty where it's, where it is in my body. Let me just, uh, Notice what it feels like. Uh, let me pay attention to it. Um, let me notice if there's an emotion connected to that sensation in my body. And let me see if I can make room for it and allow it <clears throat> to just be there. And I can notice it maybe changing and morphing as I, as I pay attention. But mostly what I'm trying to do is just allow it without judgment and without mm-hmm. trying to fix it. Uh, I'm just going to let this feeling be there, this uncertainty about how the how this thing is going to go when I take this trip. I don't know for sure, uh, and and then I'm going to do some diffusion. You know, when mm-hmm. I have the, the anxious thoughts, oh, there's an there's there's one of my worry thoughts. That's not doing me any good. Um, and let me use some um, attention training. Let me let me you know I'm I'm not enjoying that worry thought. So let me actually focus on something else that's going on right now, maybe even preparing for my trip. Maybe I want to, maybe I want to focus on preparing my presentation so that I, I feel a little bit more confident in it. So that would, that would be an adaptive uh, uh, response strategy. Uh, So, so, but the important thing is to not do the safety behaviors and find Mm -hmm. a way to reverse that. And in doing and get doing away with safety behaviors, we, we then expose to the uncertainty and, and we can do direct exposure by just observing the sensations and the feelings in our body, making room for them, allowing them, watching them change and shift and morph. Um, and when we're ready, just bringing our attention to something else. So, so those are some of the ways that we might work with that. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing these change processes for dealing with uncertainty I think people listening to us, they have a lot of exercises to practice to get better and handling all this internal pain that we go through because all types of things happen to us. People criticize us. We get scared of a situation and we want to be careful how we are responding and handling those situations. And we call these things unavoidable mm-hmm. stressors and, and, and life is full of them. We have loss, yes. we have failures, we have uh, thing hurts. We have things that happen. We have, we, have, we constantly are buffeted by uncertainty. We live in a soup of uncertainty of not knowing what's going to happen uh, at, at future moments. And so, uh, 
And so the, the important thing is to move toward, you know, uh, identifying when we're doing maladaptive coping, those mechanisms that we've talked about. Let's notice when we're doing that because it's only going to make things worse. And, and let us see if we can move in the direction of acceptance, of allowing this feeling, permitting the experience, accepting what's going on, um, not trying to run away from it, not trying to avoid it, um, particularly uncertainty. Let me just allow this experience and not run away from it with any of these safety behaviors. And let me just be with it. Let me just allow and accept it. So, yeah, that's the general direction that we want to go. I love what you say that we live in a soup of uncertainty because I think that's everyday life. We don't know how things are going to be and we don't know what's going to happen to us. We don't know what's going to happen from one minute to the next. And, you know, uh, you're still young, Patricia, but when you get to my, (laughs) you know, from, from one moment to the next, you know, all kinds of things can go wrong. wrong (laughs) And, and you, you never know. And so if you're spending all your time trying to prepare for that and deal with that and worrying about that, your life is going to be about that as opposed to, uh, you know, what you would rather your life be about, you know, what do you value? What do you care about? What matters to you? Let me focus on that. Uh, as opposed to trying to cope with uncertainty by worry and rumination. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, but we all live in surrounded by uncertainty because we really don't know what's going to happen. Um, right. And particularly when we have decisions that we have to face, boy, does that yeah. elevate uncertainty and, uh, and, and folks who struggle with uncertainty and, and the fear of uncertainty, every decision they have is, is often kind of fraught with, with, with struggle and, and, and then they try to cope with it with worry, rumination and, and then safety behaviors and all of these things end up uh, getting uh, pulled into play as they face the uncertainty of a decision. That's right. That's right. I was reading months ago the work of, I don't remember the name of the researcher, but they were looking at how when people are prone to uncertainty, another way in which they deal with the unknown is that they surround themselves with people that think like them. There is a lot of group thinking that happens. And that's the way that they manage their struggle. Instead of exploring new beliefs or no new ways of relating to others with openness, they actually close their minds. There is more cognitive rigidity. Well, you know, what you're describing is just another version of, of uh, reassurance seeking. That's right. Because you're just going to surround yourself with people that see things the same way, predict the same things, and you get uh, some sort of reassurance from the group think. Yeah. That's right. It's fascinating, right? It's fascinating how it's embedded in every single thing we do in life. Professor, I have one more question. And it's more a personal question. If you were to have a cup of coffee or tea or a beer or a scotch with any person you want today, who would that person be and why? Well... I'm sort of surprised by the, the, the first answer that came It would be my son, you know, mm-hmm. who's been gone for years. And uh, if I could visit with anyone uh, in the, you know, in person and in the flesh, uh, I think it would be, it would be my, my son, Jordan. I think um, I would ask him what the world is that he lives in. What is, mm-hmm. what, what is the, that life that he lives now? And um, yeah, I would ask that. 
Thank you so much for sharing that. This has been very special for me. I know you for over 20 years in this country, but I know of you for longer than that since I was in Bolivia. So it's very special to have you in my life as a mentor and as a friend. And I am super grateful that today we can have this conversation recorded and make it available to everyone listening to us. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. You're very welcome, Patricia. You know, our friendship means a lot to me and all the work we've done together these many years. It's very special. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you are feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingitsafe.com. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon!